Welcome back to Dorks on Sports, podcast about four dorks talking about sports. And uh, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, we have the Seahawks. We have some Mariners uh, relevant in September. Curtis, how are you doing? Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Alana, what's going on? Uh, in reveling uh, in the Mariners and the Seahawks right now. Yeah, I know. I can't wait to talk about it. Millie, how are you doing over there? I know uh, your your fantasy team was let down by a one Rashad Penny, but otherwise, other than that, how are you doing? Well, other than this unstable internet connection, and I'm hoping that you can hear me right now. Um, loud and clear. Great. Uh, I missed a little of what you said, but I'm pretty sure you asked me about my poor little fantasy team. So yeah. 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 And it was let down by a one Rashad Penny. Well, you know what? By how many yards? But you know what? Well, I mean, you know, you take away one penalty and we're good. But you know what else I learned? Is that even though uh, Kicker Koo got the most points in all of Fantasyland, um, and in my league, a whopping 17 points for a kicker, which is unheard of. But he actually missed one. I don't know if you all knew that. I just learned that. He only went four for five. Wow. If he had not missed that kick, I win my week. All right. Penny, you're off the hook. It's true. I also am such a homer that I refuse to play Jerry Judy, um, which also would have won me the week. So, <laughs> so, so the end, end result is it's your fault. Yeah, I did it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's my fault. Um, I didn't win either of my... Uh, my head-to-head leagues and uh, I'm right in the middle in the guillotine league so not a great start to the fantasy season but uh you know we can only go up yeah, week one is weird and there were weird games uh all across uh week one the the weirdest game was probably uh the Seahawks game because that's that's how they roll uh, so the Seahawks, <laughs> this, you know, if there's one thing you can count on with the Seahawks, there's going to be, it's going to be weird. Mm-hmm. So the Seahawks, they trade Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson goes to the Broncos and, uh, uh the NFL schedules a homecoming right here. Week one, uh, there's drama all off season. Who's Seahawks going to play? Is it going to be Drew Locke? Is it going to be Geno Smith? Are they going to bring in uh, Baker Mayfield? Uh, you know, are, are they going to uh, uh, prop up the, the husk of retired Brett Favre? Nobody knows, but here <laughs> Geno Smith that. comes screaming in to uh you know, take that starting job uh, with little fanfare. It kind of seemed like Drew Locke lost it more than Gino won it. Neither of them really wanted to take the mantle. People are thinking Pete Carroll's crazy for for believing in Gino Smith and starting him. And uh, all Gino Smith did uh, as a Seahawks quarterback week one versus Russell Wilson is complete. 15 passes in a row um, and win a game 17 to 16 in pure Pete Carroll fashion. I don't think Pete Carroll could have scripted it better for himself than to win a game versus Russell Wilson, 17 to 16 playing safe Pete Carroll football. Curtis. 
Yes. From the game. God, I don't know how I follow up that soliloquy. Um, uh, I was, I was really, I, I was. My biggest takeaway from the game is I was tremendously happy for Geno Smith because I thought really Geno Smith, um, from an efficiency standpoint, um, he was off the hook in the first half. I mean, he was just hitting everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're talking about Pete Carroll football, that that's the stat line you want. Like, if you look sure, at that stat in terms line, of Pete go, Carroll, but I also think Shane Waldron too. Like for the first time, I really felt. Uh, you know, when they were, um, when they were chucking the ball around, like I, like I actually saw, I felt that Ram style passing attack totally. that we were promised last year. And it never really delivered with either one of the quarterbacks. Right. Um, they came out with formations and motion calls that we hadn't seen at all last year. Definitely didn't see in the preseason. Yeah. And I really think it caught denver off guard yeah plays with against a really good defense that was a top 10 defense last year and um and gino um you know i mean i'm not gonna anoint him the savior of the team or start saying like he's the next franchise quarterback but from my eyes i mean i think i thought he was in total control of that offense of that passing attack and i'm really starting to buy into what Carol has been saying all along yeah. and also what pro football focus had been pointing out all <laughs> yeah. throughout the preseason is that he's been making the right reads. He's been making the right calls. Receivers had been dropping balls in the preseason games that he was putting on the money. And I think we saw that on display, you know, he came back down to earth a little bit in the second half, but the second half, he also wasn't helped by the fact that, you know, um, Denver was chewing up a lot of clock um, on a lot of, long you know um you know that drives. a lot of long drives that you know we were fortunate to have tremendous goal line stances on we also had some bad and penalties uh, there was that bad, were called back yeah there were there, there was big runs on the ground that were negated because of penalties there was yeah. um you know there was the the stupid bubble screen to dk uh, i hate those and i wish they would just retire it from the fucking so. playbook yeah, so I, I I I feel like there were there were points that were probably left on the field in the second half. I mean, Absolutely. we could have won that game potentially twenty three to uh, sixteen at the end, and it would have looked more impressive than it actually was. I, I mean, know, it, the I, final I, score looked like a typical like you know Pete Carroll grinded out kind of thing, but I think I think there was opportunities for more points to be had. I, was really I agree cool. with that. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I think Gino could have put up 250 yards. Um, and uh, I was a little disappointed that uh, they didn't run it as much as I thought they would. The balance of passing versus running. Uh, yeah, that was, was odd to me. That was odd was to me. Odd. There, was a, there was that one point in, I think, like the maybe the fourth quarter when we got the ball back with maybe six minutes left. And... It was three passes in a row, one for a short gain, one that was sort of like a throwaway or something like that. And then maybe he got he got that he got sacked on that play. And I was yeah. just kind of like, whoa, like I know. And and where's the grinding out the clock? Uh yeah. Penny looked good to me. He 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 was patient and he was he was getting his runs and he broke off a couple nice ones. Um he looked good and and I was uh 
I just thought it a little odd that, uh, you know, if we're getting back to Pete Carroll football, we weren't running it uh, a little more than, you know, we had in the past. Alana, uh, aside from the quarterbacks, what did you see from the Seahawks? Who stepped up? Who, uh, who maybe wasn't um, reaching potential? Yeah, I think um, one of the main things that uh, I loved watching was seeing Michael Jackson mm-hmm. do really great and just be in the right place at the right time for a lot of plays. Uh, it was really exciting because knowing that he's, I think, a fourth-year guy. Fourth-year player, like, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. floating around practice squads, and this year he just he made it. He proved in the preseason that he was the right choice. Um, I was also really impressed with Cody Barton, actually. Yeah, Eleven tackles. Uh, he, you know, he had some soft coverage issues in against uh, that Beck guy on on um, Denver, as well as the running backs for some of the screenplays. But he diagnosed a couple well. He got a sack. He um, uh, did really play well. He proved that he belonged in that linebacker room. I mean, his stat line was looked like Bobby Wagner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, he had two tackles for loss. I mean, it was great. Yeah. So, like, I think the defense really stepped up. I mean, Quandre Diggs is, like, I think he's probably actually the best player on the team. And he uh, should have had that pick in the end zone. He should have had that pick, but. That like, was another thing. Yeah, that was weird. That was that was a weird. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I really wanted to touch, touch on something that we've kind of chatted about in the past, like, uh, Curtis, you mentioned that you don't want to anoint Gino the savior, and for in a, to a large degree, neither neither do I, because I don't want to put expectation on him. Right? Like mm-hmm. I want him to live his life, and I want him to be embraced by Seattle football fans, which he's being embraced by. I want him to be able to navigate his world in a way that completes him, and like I can see that happening. I mean, after the game, he was like. Y'all wrote me off, but I didn't write back. And it was like, that was such a great line. He's, he's coming into a place that he can exist as his own man. Right. He's been, he's been either a failure or a backup for his entire career. And Curtis, I think you really shared um, a take from, I can't remember who it was about how, I don't know that we should be celebrating the fact that Gino started in 2014 and now he's starting in game one on in 2022 because the reason for that is racism. The reason for that is that people give white quarterbacks a chance to ruin teams like Blake Bortles, like Brock Osweiler, before they will ever give a chance to a highly rated qualified quarterback who's just been, who's by all accounts, an absolute film junkie. Um, they, will, they won't give him a chance until he's proven it for a decade. And that's ludicrous. Like it is. I mean, so, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick can bounce around to a bunch of teams because right. he's an average quarterback who gets production, but a black quarterback isn't allowed to be average. Right. You know, right. Exactly. You have to be exceptional. And that's yeah. uh, you know, and like there are 13 black quarterbacks this year, I believe is, is the number, which is awesome. And and some people have called this the year of the black quarterback. Sure, but like that could have happened 15 years ago. You know, like the talent's always been there and we've always, the reason that black men aren't allowed to play quarterback or or encouraged not to play quarterback is because they're too too stupid. They can't remember the playbook. That Kyler Murray thing, that, I mean, I know we kind of mocked the fact that he had a, you have to watch film 
uh, for four hours every week and how stupid that was from Arizona. But that's because of racism. Like that's like it's plain and it's cut and dry in that regard. So I just want to celebrate the fact that we have someone who is is seizing an opportunity, right? Like mm -hmm. he came in, he got the crowd to cheer for him. We've got double Genos right now um, that are worth worth screaming about. And I that's loved great. it and when the, there were Geno chants going on absolutely. in that stadium. And the man looked amazing when he came to the stadium. Like mm -hmm. he was in just a perfectly tailored purple suit that just looked excellent in him. Excellent, excellent on him. And it was an announcement that he was ready to be there, ready to take it. Um, yeah. And when you compare it to what Russell looked like, where it looked like he took uh, a Seahawks, or sorry, a Mariners, uh, uh, the logo and wrapped it in cellophane as a tuxedo, and it was very shiny. It was like, what are you doing? Um, By the way, imagine way having to go home on the plane in that outfit, right? Right after you, right, right. after you lost, you know, that'd be a lot. Yeah, uh, and then the last, the last little piece is I wanted to call out our baby boy Tyler Lockett because he showed up in a Mariners jersey, and like, let's just celebrate the fact that he is engaged with his community because that's fucking rad. Like, yeah, that cross sport love and appreciation from somebody who's I don't know where Tyler Rockets from. I think he's, he's from Oklahoma and he's a Thunder fan. It's a little bit sensitive here, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's like we don't blame the players, right? Um, but whatever the case, like he's supporting the Mariners, and that's great. I love it. So um, and it's, yeah. he's not only engaged with his community, he's now engaged. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> like our yeah. little pocket locket is all grown up. I know my little pocket locket. He looks good. He had some. He had some nice moments. So Millie, uh, you know, we're singing Gino's praises, and the offense did uh, uh, what it could to win that game. Um, but you know, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, their stat lines weren't that impressive. I think we're used to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf having explosive stat lines when you have somebody like Russell Wilson throwing to them. Um, do you think that we are going to see a lot more of that with this Geno Smith-led Seahawks, or is that just a week one anomaly? I think we're going to see more of it. And I, I think that's okay. I, Geno Smith is not Russell Wilson. He's not going to throw the big bombs all the way down the field and, and rely on, you know, these incredibly talented receivers quite the same way. I, I don't think that that's the offense that we're building. I, I sure hope we get a couple of those a game. Yeah. But I don't think we'll see as many of them. But I think we'll see a lot more, um, a lot more of that sort of mid-level pass, which is what we were getting and what is very successful. What I don't want to see is anybody throwing a DK Metcalf behind the line of scrimmage. Like, why? <laughs> I, I'm done yeah, with that. I'm play. ready for that to go away. I just I'm that right, has yeah. to end. That's I where the maximum yardage gain of three yards. That 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 play has existed in the Seahawk playbook long before Shane Waldron. They were doing that all the way back in the Bevel era. Yes. And they were doing it with uh, Lockett with uh, an E. 
I and remember it drove me crazy. They used then. to do it with Lockett when they had P. Rich and Baldwin on the team, and he was sort of like the third option. And it's just like, oh, let's just give it. To <laughs> you want to watch DK Metcalf <laughs> throw <laughs> off three defenders? You do it when he's already in motion and he's yeah, already right. got the momentum and he can toss them off left and right. When yes. he's trying to scramble behind the line of scrimmage, it's not going to happen. Agreed. But I do fully expect both of those receivers to have good seasons. Are they going to have great seasons? Are they going to see the numbers they saw with Russell? Maybe not this year, um, but I, I expect decent production. And I think as these connections get... Um, get more natural, the more that can grow. I, mm -hmm. I think part of what mm -hmm. we saw was really smart football on mm -hmm. Monday and not trying to create something that might not be there yet, but the more they're practicing and the more they get in sync, the more I would expect to see the deep ball <laughs> and the big chance. Um, and we didn't really need it. And mm -hmm. so we didn't do it. And that's what I mean by smart football. And, yeah. and I wanted to to say something, uh, to dovetail off something you said, Curtis, about leaving points on the field. I mean, you want to talk about leaving points on the field. What, twice at the one-yard line and Denver Oof. couldn't get it in? And in your phone. That was amazing, you, though. I mean, I mean the, the, that was, that was, I credit the Seahawks defense for yeah. like i mean and al woods right in the middle and yeah. Andre and michael jackson that i still gotta get used to that um it was i was reading phenomenal. uh i was not reading i was listening it might have been on bump and stacy uh a take on on that and how um the that goal line stand might be the strength of the seahawks that everybody uh, all of those defenders were on assignment. Like nobody was missing assignment. Everybody knew exactly what to do. And if we can get them doing that for more situational football, it's going to be a scary defense. Mm -hmm. yes. Can I throw something out there that I think is exciting? Yeah. About this, as we're all saying this right now. Is um, it Michael Dixon? <laughs> no. I love Michael Dixon. Michael Dixon <laughs> is a very. And we, and we didn't see him for a long time in that game. No, and that was exciting. Yeah. Um, uh, what I was just going to say quickly as I'm thinking about this, um, Clint Hurt is a former defensive line coach. He's mm -hmm. all about his defensive line. He's all about being stout up front. The last time the Seahawks had a defensive line, ex-defensive -def lineman, defensive coordinator um, was uh, Dan Quinn. Yep. Mm -hmm. I remember those defensive fronts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. There's something there's something to be said about having the guy calling the plays and calling the defense from the perspective of a defensive line coach. Like the emphasis is going to be up front yeah. on the team. And that's really exciting to me because I think it's, that's been like missing for like the last probably four years. It's it's really exciting to have that balance because what's Pete's specialty? Exactly. Cornerbacks and safety. Yep. So you've got two like Pete's arguably one of the best at that particular um, part of the field, uh, yes. part of the team. And then I would he, say the best. I yeah. Would, yeah. Uh, and then Clint Hurt's going to come in and bring a different perspective. And we know that Pete is skilled at working with people and breeding, pe breeding uh, contributors in his organization. So, like, yeah, I, I totally hear and, and agree with what you're saying there, Curtis. So speaking of the defense, Curtis, 
So, you know, one of the big storylines this season was this new look defense and we're going to be bringing in some Fangio looks and um, we're going to be shifting, uh, you know, uh, to a a three, four front and all this stuff. What did you see in that game that was maybe different than what Pete Carroll has traditionally done in the past? Yeah, initially uh, in the first uh, few series of uh, of uh, the Russell Wilson Denver Broncos having the ball, um, I was concerned about the outside containment on a couple plays. Uh, I think to the right, it was like on Daryl Taylor's side or the defensive left, so the right side of the offense. There was um, Russell quit hit um, a quick sort of out pass into the flat for a big game that I felt was uh, Taylor's responsibility. And then they came right back at Taylor with a run play where he gave up his, I feel like he gave up his um, uh, edge that he was supposed to set. You know, he kind of went inside, dipped inside and locked up with the, so there was some, there was some leaks and some in, in the flats, I think in terms of coverage and there was some, you know, there was some uh, there was some edge responsibilities that were a little weak, but I felt like they they shored that up as the game went going when they were kind of realizing how the Denver run game was attacking it to the perimeters. And so they made adjustments. Um, I just feel like going I, I've always been a fan of the the fourth three of having you know two defensive tackles and two defensive ends I just feel like that's sort of in my mind a stouter look but I see the way the league is kind of going to this three four and having more of the talent out on the perimeters in these sort of edge dresser dash you know linebacker Linebacker. roles because it makes it makes it more of a challenge for the offense. I think in particular in like passing situations to figure out where the rush is coming from. Mm-hmm. And so like two of the three sacks were all from the inside, from linebackers, from, from Adams and from Barton. And then the third one was from Nuoso. Uh, who just had an guy. amazing. Yeah. Game. And so it's just, I just think that there's more, as they get more used to this defense, I think there's the potential for more of a chess match to happen when they really sort of master that. I think it's going to be, I mean, I, I think it's probably going to be sort of a rough start of the season. You know, it could be a rough December. It could Particularly be with October, so many rookies. But I think once uh, we start getting secondary. into November and stuff, we could start yeah. seeing if, you know, if there's not a whole slew of injuries and you know of course we lost adams for the year and that really sucks but if most of the guys that we're sort of counting on you know hold together i think it could be a pretty you know exciting defense at the end of the year yeah Yeah. i uh i'm looking forward to it um one thing that i was interested in seeing from russell wilson was what this new look offense of his was going to be and it's sort of an offense created in his image there's a lot of news coming out of of how much power he holds in that organization and how much say he has and 
Russell wanted his up-tempo offense and uh, he wanted these quick attacks and he wanted his protection. And to me, it just looked like another Russell Wilson offense. Uh, You could have put Seahawks uniforms on that offense and it it wouldn't have looked any different than anything Russell Wilson has been doing for the past five years. And here's what's driving me crazy is that this like up-tempo thing that he wasn't getting out of Seattle and this is what he really wanted and that's why he was mad and then he's not doing it. So <laughs> what what's going on here? Uh, is, is Russell, um, it, it, is, does he, he thinks he knows what he wants but doesn't understand his own skill set? Like, I don't understand what is happening with him. Alana, what, what do you think? I just think he doesn't, I think that that's exactly it. He doesn't understand his own skill set. And like, of course, who wouldn't want that up-tempo? I mean, we saw Gino doing it. Like, and, and <laughs> yeah. so it's like- Gino oh, seemed more up-tempo than he did. Absolutely. 100%. And if you look at the staffs that are related to it, I mean, I think Gino was getting the ball out in like 2.4 seconds, 2.5 seconds. Yeah. And, Russ and Russ was, was like, like 3.6 Yeah. So like, Russell just like, the Russell offense is collapse the O-line, run around like a chicken with your head cut off, <laughs> and then heave it 50 yards down the field because yeah. coverage breaks down. And, like, great. Like, but that's what it is. So yeah. commit to that, you know? And, like, then we have this whole situation, unfortunately, where I, you could see the difference in philosophies between Hackett and Russell on the field in that yeah. game. Um, and I, I know that Hackett came out and said, like, you know, we were going to go for the field goal if we hit the 46. Um, and then they hit the 46. But, like, the discombobulation of that final two minutes of game clock was, it was embarrassing. Embarrassing. It was unreal, really, watching it. And it was, like, also kind of reminiscent. It made me go, wait a second. All that city play call or uh, clock management that we had over the last 10 years. Maybe that was actually on Russell. Russell exactly. Right. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> so then they do that shit. And then the thing that got like, so I, I just don't think he understands his skill set and how to use it in a way that maximizes his value. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is like when we were watching it and they called those timeouts during victory formation, I was like, you petty fucks. That drove me crazy. You petty, petty fucks. What are you going to do? You're going to strip the ball from them? Like, you can't win this game unless something really stupid happens. Why are you Mathematically, they couldn't win. I mean, like, I don't understand why they were burning those timeouts because mathematically they weren't going to get anything out of it. The the time was up. It it was done. But he looked like a baby head coach. Like he, he didn't did. know how to manage <laughs> the last 45 seconds of that game. Yeah. And this like inexperience was showing. He just looked out of his depth. And I, if anything, I was impressed that Russell wasn't throwing a fit. Um, Cause I fully <laughs> oh, expected him to be conscious like, you gotta let me do this, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and he didn't, he, he respected it. And when the field goal was missed, he just was like, well, that's that, you know, and shook his head. Do you think there's a part of Russell Wilson that's like, oh, maybe things weren't so bad with an experienced head coach? You know what? I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so either. I do. I want to I want to really quickly hop on one thing because it's been on my mind a lot today and I've seen a lot of conversation about it. 
And I am surprised by not even so much locally, but nationally, how surprised people were that he was booed. I don't get that. And I don't, I don't entirely understand the controversy. I personally, when he first comes out, I personally, yeah. I mean, it would have been nice if people had been like, thanks Russ, but that's not, this is football. That's not sports. I don't don't know what I would have booed him coming out of the tunnel. But as sure as hell was going to boo him on his first drive, like that's 100%. what it's a competitive we're, advantage, like, yeah, and that's right. what we're there for. So, and I'm trying to think, like, can someone please show me an example of when, especially you know, your big name player, especially a quarterback, came back to your city for the first game. And everyone held up signs saying thanks and clapped. Uh, Especially when he forced himself out. Like, why is that an expectation? And why is everyone saying that we're all assholes? Like, no. I know. I had a real treat uh, uh, peeking in on Colin Cowherd today. Uh, I saw that as well. I I know because he's just, he just, I I, I swear to God, uh, like he, he's a conduit to Mark Rogers and Russell Wilson. Like he just like, there's some sort of freaking deal there where he's just, he's just in with that group. And he has been, you know, he has been very anti, I think Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll for the last several years. Uh, go figure that um, with all the let Russ cook stuff, but him today was just priceless. He went on this long freaking monologue about how he grew up in the pacific northwest <laughs> and you know and and people don't understand that up in the pacific northwest the weather is terrible all year long and <laughs> people are just miserable all year long and you know the sonics left because they didn't want to be there and a rod left because he didn't want to be there and griffy left because and and of course yeah the sonics won a championship, a little championship, and the Huskies won a national championship. And they, but it was Russell Wilson that won that Super Bowl in Seattle. I mean, Russell Wilson got there and the and, and brought a winning culture to Seattle. And he just and he just did this whole long thing. So I don't get why people booed him. I don't know why would they would boo him. And it was I just like every long thing. Can and I, I read a little thing? Like, you yeah, freaking yeah. idiot. You don't know anything about Seattle freaking <laughs> sports. You've been so out of this market for the last 30 freaking years of your life. Anybody that knows anything about Seattle sports should know that these fans here were going to boo Russell Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Somebody, well, made so, this- you know, you know how Packers fans think that they created fandom. And if you mm-hmm. don't operate in the same model of fandom that they do, they're going to give you a really hard time for it. Here's an article from the game that Brett Favre uh, came back with Minnesota, which oh, is man. like the exact situation. Um, that's what made Sunday's game so gut-wrenching. Favre didn't just leave. He went to the one team the Packers fans tested. A plane trailing refi- retire for good banner circled uh, Lambeau in the hours before the game, and Favre was greeted with a long, loud chorus of boos when he jogged out for the game, the last of the Vikings to take the field. Oh, he heard cheers here and there, but they were largely drowned out by whistles and boos anytime he got close to the ball. There were shirts calling him everything from traitor to Judas to drama queen. One fan carried a poster with true legends don't wear purple behind the Vikings bench. Someone hung a welcome back to the Lambeau Field B-R-E-N-T sign. 
Uh, it's like going to church on Sunday, and now the priest says, everybody go home. Jesus has now sided with the devil, said Tom Field, whose far jersey now says Judas on the back and a big red slash through the floor. Like, and, and we get, we, you, I can guarantee you the Packers fans are like, ah, we wouldn't have booed far. Yeah, we totally, wouldn't have booed totally. Him. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I just don't understand. Show me the example of when your top tier player goes, by the way, to leave for the money and came back. Like, we, we booed it when it was the Mariners, and we're going to boo it when it's, when it's the Seahawks and it's Russell Wilson, it doesn't, it's not what, what did you do for us once upon a time? The reality is what did you do for us the last two seasons? So what? By the way, I just want to say my mind. It wasn't just Seattle fans. It was his former teammates. Right. Right. Oh God. Yeah. Legion of boom was on the sideline. Just like eating all up. And, and their tweets today. I mean, yeah. this, this was not a well loved love. There were a lot of people who really loved Russell Wilson. I, I was not one of them, as you all know. So I, I guess maybe that's why I wasn't surprised. But it, I, show me the money. I want to see an example of someone coming back and everybody cheered them and had signs that said, I have, I have one. Show it to me. It's Ray Bork. And it's because Boston Bruins fans loved him for 20 years and wanted him to win a title. So they helped arrange to get him traded to the Colorado Avalanche so that he could win a title. When he came back, it was all cheers. And then also, there's jerseys out there for the year he won the title that are half Boston Bruins, half Colorado Avalanche. I think those situations are a little different. Like the Detroit Lions fans were happy for Stafford for finally winning a championship because they knew it wasn't going to happen in Detroit. But did they cheer him when he came back for a game? Has he played there yet? Sure. I don't think I don't he know. has. And, and that's a great example, except like you said, everybody really wanted this guy to get his to win. title. Yeah, totally, you know what? Totally. Russell had the chance. Like it, right. it's not like he didn't get to ever go to a Super Bowl. Yeah. And if he would just right. played Pete Carroll football, we could have got another one. Mm. Just saying. Yeah, you know, Russell Wilson, he at the end of the day, he wanted to leave Seattle. He wanted to leave yeah. Seattle for Denver because he wanted more control. He wanted yeah. the whole entire team to be run through him. And Tyler Columbus went on, who used to be play for the Seahawks and is now a host on sports radio in Denver because he played for the Denver Broncos later on. He was on uh, uh, sports radio here in Seattle towards the end of the last week and dropped a total bombshell in the morning saying that like um nathaniel hackett answers to russell wilson oh, that's so crazy the whole in the whole front office answers to russell wilson russell wilson runs that whole entire team that that's is the high. reason why russell wilson is there that is the deal that they made with him yeah. Well, and that should be a that is had. what he wanted in Seattle. He yeah. wanted he wanted he wanted Carol gone, <laughs> wanted Schneider gone. He wanted he and Mark Rogers wanted to run the whole freaking program up here. And Jody Allen said, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, that's straight. And up. Mark Rogers, I think, is a really important name there. Like, yeah. Like his only client is Russ. He's yeah, a exactly. baseball uh agent yeah like he just wants power yeah Yeah. now as a seahawks fan i 
fundamentally believe boo is ass you know we yeah. can celebrate him in 10 years when he's in the ring of honor when all this fucking dust is settled but for totally. right now for those reasons why he left and stuff like that no sorry russ you get booed you know agreed well you know uh, now. who uh who i'm looking forward to booing is uh the san francisco 49ers who we got next week san francisco 49ers by the way trey lance did not look good he was bad so given what we saw out of the seahawks monday and what we saw out of the san francisco 49ers on sunday let's do some predictions oh sure. you want to kick us off I just want to let everyone know that we did, in fact, do predictions before this game and we that did. your dorks, who might be homers, but we don't always pick the Hawks, all four of us picked the Hawks to win that game. Yeah. All four of us were right. Um, and I was the most right at 19 and 17. <laughs> <laughs> and in, and what, what did we all pick for season uh, record? Well, here's what's fascinating. All three of you chose eight and nine for the season. Alana says that we make the playoffs at eight. Because the NFC is Because the NFC is trash. Yeah, you called that part. Trash. I have less confidence. Um, Maybe I should have gone a little higher. Um, Dan pointed out to me, I think it was Dan, it might have been Alana, that uh, Pete Carroll's never lost more than seven games in a season. But I am... am, uh, so not confident that I went five and 12 and I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I, uh, I, my heart really wants to say, uh, to that we can go nine or 10, but I'm, I'm going to temper it. Uh, and I think Monday's game was a strong indication that I'm right. And, uh, and we got eight, we got eight wins. Uh, so what's your, season. uh, what's your forecast for the Niners for the Niners? I'm seeing another low scoring game. I'm going to give it, Ooh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it comes to 17, 14 Hawks. Mm-hmm. Lana, what do you got? Uh, given that um, Trey Lance can't play football and he'll be feeling a lot of pressure at the home opener. I got a weird score of uh, 20 to 12. Oh, he, in, in favor of the Hawks? Yeah, I don't think. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're going to have to kick a lot. I mean, the, the, to be fair to the Niners, which fuck it, but um, they played in a fucking monsoon on a mm, field that was not to deal with it. No, so, like, it's, it's really hard to get a good read on who they are. Yeah. Um, other than Trey Lance sucks. And, yeah. Or isn't ready. One of those things. He, I, I, I shouldn't say sucks, but he's he's definitely not NFL ready. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's. And think he's got he's, Jimmy G just breathing down his back. Stake bordering on irresponsible to have him starting in his only his second year in the NFL. He has no experience. Curtis, what say you? Okay, you know, before yesterday's game, I was really kind of marking the 49ers as a loss for the Seahawks but there's just something about there's something about the combination of how Gino played better than I expected and the fact that when Russell Wilson targeted Tariq Woolen's side of the field his passer rating was like 39 yeah um that's exciting 
that's that's a top 10 quarterback in the league who had like shitty stats going that way so i'm i'm a believer in in woolen and michael jackson actually and so i think that i i think i'm going to turn my expectations i think the seahawks are going to win this one and i'm going to say you know i'm going to say probably um 2317 all right yeah so I, like I am struggling because I always say that, you know, we, we have the, uh, we're the kryptonite for the Niners. That's right. Uh, mm. And the Rams are ours. So I'm a little torn, but um, I, I, I'm, I'm not as confident. So I am actually going, um, what did I decide? I think the Niners take it. I think it's a low scoring game. I'm going 1612. All right. Niners. 1612. Right. Where is this one? Is this one in San Francisco? Yeah. yeah. No, it's in Santa Clara. Santa Clara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, got, I've just got field goals next week. I, I think yeah. I think there's gonna be a regression, but I hope I'm wrong. We'll see. It's we'll gonna see. be fun. Uh it's gonna be fun. I'm really anticipating the season. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I don't think we're going to make the playoffs, but I think this is going to be one of the funnest seasons I think I'll have had with the Seahawks in a long time. It's nice not having expectations. Exactly. Yeah, I like it. Well, you know, it does have expectations. The Seattle Mariners. Mariners. They got a, they got a 99.7% chance of making those playoffs. They're six games ahead of uh, Baltimore. Um, and currently they hold the number one wildcard spot. Um, it's bottom of the ninth right now and uh san diego's leading two to zero um but that's okay because the rays and the jays are beating each other up as we speak um mariners came into the season with a lot of expectations uh the first month was pretty dreadful But then something happened and they recaptured that magic from last season uh, and more. And this is kind of a Mariners season for the ages. Uh, It really starts, it's starting to feel like they're building a team of destiny here. Got the young superstar Julio Rodriguez. Uh, You got our catcher, the big dumper, who's just like hitting home run after home run and you know all those guys we traded for are starting to produce except winker you know i kind of wish winker was replaced with swaggerty but uh in the lineup uh i think swaggerty is a better hitter um uh but uh the pitching rotation is out of this world uh beefed up by the addition of uh castillo um and our los bomberos um, bullpen is the best in the league. Um, we've got some fantastic fielding to go along with it. Um, this has been a really fun season that we haven't had a chance to talk about a whole lot on this podcast since we've been in our sort of semi hiatus. Um, so I just kind of want to go around the horn and talk about your favorite moments, things you like best and stuff you're looking forward to. Millie, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, 
I was a as a believer from before the season started. I said we we could get a wild card spot, and uh, and here we are. It's there was definitely some rough patches. I mean, I think about about Winker, our little tiddly wanker, and I feel like he just needs to get hot again. I yeah. mean, you know, he, he was passions. out of the rotation, and 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 he hasn't gotten hot again. So what I'm hoping is that he turns that on at just the right moment. Yeah. Uh, apparently Hanniger's having back spasms and, and issues again. So we're going to need, you know, to fill that gap. Um, Ham Swaggerty has turned into a darling. He's proven He's awesome. he can make an impact no matter where he has to play on the field. Suarez. Um, he's just amazing. Eugenio yeah. with his, with his little goggles, when he hits the, the home runs makes me happy, but what makes and and for me, I gotta say, I, I'm sticking with it. Julio's my favorite player. I just yeah. there's never a moment that that man is not in the game, that he isn't joyfully part of this team. Anytime they, you know, you get a shot of 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 the guys when they're off the field, he is on that fence watching yeah. every play. He and is so into it. It, yeah. it is so fun to watch. He is definitely my favorite, but my, my favorite like moment is a moment that happens in every win, which is the dance, right? The mantra I heard is win dance repeat, like they are such a team. And I am such a believer in the connection of Mm -hmm. team that that little dance that they've been doing, it it never died. Like it was just, this is our thing. This is what we're going to do. And it's just so much fun to watch. And that game that we got just a couple of days ago with those two home runs in the ninth, I think was all anybody needed to, to close their mind to the idea that this wasn't going to, to get us that somehow we're going to fall apart and it's not going to happen. Like, I think that was just that moment that sealed the deal for so many people in Seattle. And I mean, I that's that moment told me it. we can hang in the playoffs you know, that told me we're a contender that we could be any team in the league to have that kind of grit and to be able for Julio to, you know, just will a home run, you know, I I mean, I I think, and, and playing for each other at the end of that game, uh, Julio got on his cell phone and this was posted to social media and he got a selfie and he was filming the stadium going crazy and he was saying you know this is for you keep showing up we love you guys and he and he took a selfie with the with the fans closest to him you know all cheering and stuff like that and that's the kind of like that's the energy and that's the x factor that i really feel like in this team that maybe they don't have the talent that the Astros do or the Dodgers do or whatever, but that X factor of these guys playing for each other and being in that moment, every minute of every possible moment of that game, that's what's pushing them into these wins. And that's what can make a deep playoff run. When in that horrible rain game, that awful rain delay, the player who was out there signing autographs and talking to fans it was julio it's not even his home stadium like he's 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 my favorite yeah i mean that talk about a guy who has really embraced the role of ambassador of a city and superstar uh and reveling in it um man uh, you know we got julio at just the right time yeah alana what what have you been seeing um so i think 
the main thing for me is is really about uh, how the city is responding to it. I mean, like, I think I've gone to four games this year, maybe five, uh, and they're packed. Every game is packed. Yeah. People are ready for this. Um, people have been ready for this for a while, and we have a team that is so fucking lovable. Like, you talk about Julio, but you also got, like, a Eugenio and uh, his hair and uh, the the way that he loves each other and the big dumper like like you and I have a special connection with the big dumper there we do Curtis. Yeah. um and uh, uh Julio just reached on an infield single there's two outs in the bottom of the ninth Ty France is up to bat they're down by two um but uh the pitching like the like they play for each other and they play for the city and you're absolutely right that that's a that's an X factor going yeah. into the playoffs now Will that mean that um, we have games at home? Not probably until, well, who knows what happens, but potentially not until the divisional series. When, when, the one thing I want to be cautious of is that expectation, right? Like, could they go to the World Series? Yeah. Are they a legitimate contender? Absolutely. Is it World Series or bust? No fucking way. Absolutely not. And so, like, like I, the main thing for me is like after looking at those Toronto's that Toronto series that was um, so ecstatic when we swept them and and uh, Gino delivered the walk off. Or uh, after looking at um, God, what was the other one? There were there were a couple of that fourteen game win streak that was amazing. All of it comes back to the the biggest positive about the Winker trade was that brawl. Right, yeah. like that ignited them. They started yeah. their 14 game win streak five days later. Yeah, uh, it just united the team as a team, recognizing that those angels are pieces of shit, and that we could beat anybody, and we did, and and haven't looked back. That's a turning point for the entire franchise, I think, yeah. in this way. And I think that if the Mariners, let's say the Mariners go and give um, uh, New York or Houston. A uh, real tough fight in the ALCS, which I think is probably like a, that's what I'm looking for, right? Like that's yeah. that's where I want to be. Yeah, I love a World Series, but like that's the right stepping stone. And then in the off season, we go out and sign Trey Turner because he's a Mariners player. He plays the same type of ball that we do, um, and I think we could bring him in. And then either he or JP could go to second and then boom, we've got a fucking lineup. Um, so like thinking about that and then thinking about what that means for the next five to 10 years, like we're going to switch back to, a, we are potentially going to switch back to a baseball city for a couple of years before the Sonics come back and then boom, you know, we're back to being <laughs> yeah. a basketball city because that's what our real identity is. But I, I mean, just, that's just, one of the most exciting things about this team right now, right? The young core. I mean, right. we've already locked Julio up for his career. Um, and, um, you know, we can, we have Cal Raleigh and, you know, there's Mitch Hanniger and, you know, there's just uh, uh, the pitchers, Kirby, Kirby. who's been pitching out of his mind. Logan Kirby's Cooper. an ace. Kirby's the number one. He's a, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you're talking like a three game playoff series, who are you starting? I'd say Castillo, Kirby, Logan. Logan. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and that's not to say that Robbie Ray is a bad pitcher. That's just no. how loaded we are. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, that pitching and home runs, which Mariners are very good at, uh, that's a recipe for playoff wins. Um, good vibes only. Good vibes only. Curtis, what, what have been some of your favorite moments, uh, favorite players? Uh, the brawl is definitely my favorite moment. Um, yeah. I'm not that I'm into Donnie Brooks, but I, I guess it was sort of like the, um, it's really kind of the, are you mad bro kind of moment yeah. for the team, you yeah. know, where they just said like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> We're not scared of anybody. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we don't care. You got trout. And, uh, <laughs> and and that fancy picture from Japan, uh, we're gonna kick your fucking ass. Yeah, <laughs> and um, that was the thing, you know. The, 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 the Angels tried to stir up shit, and Seattle said no. And you know, and in terms of Winker, if that's his biggest contribution, then God bless him for it. That trade was the right fucking trade to make, you know. <laughs> right. And it was like, and and that to me is when I knew when I saw that fourteen game streak. And let me tell you straight up, like I said at the beginning of the season in one of these earlier podcasts, like you know the the, the Mariners going to the playoffs. Um, but I dropped off that bandwagon like lickety split in June. I was like going like same old fucking Mariners. I don't know why I bought into this shit. Here it comes again. Like all that sort of thing. And then, then that brawl happened. That brawl happened. That streak happened. And I was going to go like, holy fuck. You know, this team is honestly going to do it. And, you know, by the time we got into the end of July going into August, I was kind of like, you know what? I think this team could fucking go to the fucking World Series. Yeah. If they stay hot like this. And it's not my expectation that they're going to do it. But I honestly believe that I don't think there's a more dangerous team in baseball right now when teams are chasing pennants and when the shit gets real than the Seattle Mariners because they've um they've they've stood their ground uh with the Braves, they've stood their ground with the Yankees um they've gone back and forth with you know that miserable team down in houston you know they don't they don't wilt they 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 kicked the shit out of the blue jays when the blue jays came in here and swept them and when's the last time that's happened in seattle yeah. like mm -hmm. this team is special this is a special team and I just sort of think like, you know what, from my opinion, I, I from my position, I would not bet against the Seattle Mariners. I, I wouldn't either. And let's get this tonight. This is a playoff postseason game. What's I, I, I've always thought, you know, with the Padres, if they could split this uh, this two game series, they're going to be doing okay. Here's yeah. the thing: if the Mariners go 500 from here on until mm -hmm. the end of the season, we'll have 90 wins. So yeah. like there's mm -hmm. a very good chance that we're going to walk out of this season with, you know, over 90 wins. Um, uh, I, I, one, one thing I like is that we traded for Winker and he was going to be the big bat. He's going to be the power hitter mm -hmm. that we needed. And 
Suarez, Eugenio got kind of like thrown into the deal of like, please take this guy uh, off our paybook. And, you know, like, and it, it paid off for us because Eugenio is who we thought we were getting from Winker. Uh, and and I kind of love that. Cal Raleigh is what we thought we were going to get out of Kellenic. You know what I mean? And I love how all of these guys are kind of stepping up. Uh, you have different heroes every night. Um, I, I think one of the coolest things about that brawl actually is, you know, you had so many um, suspensions laid out that this team had to learn how to the the next man mm -hmm. up mentality you know mm -hmm. who's gonna who's gonna step up ty france gets hurt okay we're gonna have to be productive we're gonna have to continue winning uh and they have um i you know i don't know i i this is a it's a team of destiny and i'm really looking forward to um to where this season is gonna go and uh and i i, I mean i think it's a certainty we're gonna be going to the playoffs and man 22 years later that's gonna be good so one team that has been a virtual dynasty in Seattle has been our very own Seattle Storm. Uh, and one reason for that dynasty is the play of legendary Sue Bird, who played her very last game. What was it, last week? Was it last week? Last Tuesday. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When they, when they fell in the playoffs and... Um, spoil the uh, last dance um so i just kind of i mean sue bird has been um an athlete that has been a favorite uh, of ours here on the podcast we're all storm fans and very big sue bird fans and um sue bird has meant a lot i think to the city of seattle um which is a city that has really embraced the wnba um i think more than many um, it's been a very popular team here, um, and Super has meant a lot. Uh, and it's going to be weird not having Super playing after 20 years. How long has she been in the league? 20. Yeah, this was her 20th season, wasn't it? 20th season, 20th, 20th season. season. Like that's yeah. a you know that's 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 a long time. Um, and so I just wanted to you know quickly just. Um, talk about Sue Bird and what she meant to you and what she meant to the city and give our thanks uh, for all the memories. I mean, the, you know, the Seattle storm are the winningest team in, you know, Seattle sports history. Mm -hmm. uh, and Sue Bird is, is a lot to do with that. Um, so I think, yeah, Alana, I, why don't we start with you? Uh, I think one thing, the, the thing I want to highlight, because I know that Curtis has a lot of things to say about her playing career, but I just, Sue Bird, the advocate, and Sue Bird, the personality, um, in terms of like how she carried herself on the court and off the court and as a representative of Seattle. Um, she is part of a generation of female athletes who, when they came into the league, were not really allowed to be open about their sexuality. Uh, and over the course of time, took those brave steps to make sure uh, that they could be. And so we, as we know, Sue Bird is in a relationship with a uh, married to Ray, Megan Rapino, And I know that once they're both done with their careers, they're, they are looking at exploring uh, potentially having kids, which like, fuck yeah. Uh, and they live, couple. I know. And they live in Ballard. Um, and uh, if you're lucky and happen to be out on drop one night, you might run into them as has happened to me. Um, 
Uh, and so, and just and like the fact that she's using her privilege as an athlete, as a visible athlete, to fight for causes like bring Brittany Griner to, you know, wear Black, Black Lives Matter shirt, to be a voice in the removal of the Atlanta Dream owner um, a few years ago, to just be like aware and supportive. I mentioned last night when we were um, watching um, the game that. One of the things I liked about Russell Wilson is the fact that I'm confident that he would not care or that he would be supportive of trans people. Like, I'm confident about him. Even though he's a religious weirdo, like, awesome. Um, I am not as confident about Doug Baldwin, even though it's a probably. It just, I don't know, like, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. There are plenty of athletes who look at me and are not wanting to see that. But I am 100% sure that Sue Bird is fighting for my right to exist and using her platform as the GOAT in the WNBA to ensure that people like me um, have a fair shot at life, you know? And like, I, I just appreciate that advocacy, that activism, that that awareness and that compassion. Uh, and I think, it, and Sue Bird really portended my arrival in Seattle. Uh, I've been here almost as long as her. And um, it's really great to know that she's invested here and she's going to be here for a while, I, I believe. So yeah. I just, I think she's great. In her, uh, I, I was lucky enough to see the last regular season game and in, in her speech to everyone in the arena, um, she went, she talked about when she first came here and in her first season that she went to the Wild Rose. Mm, and that. that it was you know and not at the wild rose that i was there at that game <laughs> she she talked about i've been to the wild she, rose she, she said you know I wild didn't, I rose didn't... for anybody who doesn't know is is a les is a famous lesbian bar here in uh in seattle i, and I don't think it's open anymore correct no it used to be on capitol hill yeah when capitol hill was cool do, do you want to hear this story Yes, please. Okay. So she, she shared with everyone that when she came to this city, um, she, 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 she didn't quite know who she was yet. And she wasn't able to be who she was outwardly and that her teammates took her to the wild rose and that there was a, a fan who, who recognized her and, and took her to the side and said, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm not sure that this is where you should be. I'm not sure you want to be here. <laughs> and and she i'm paraphrasing but that she she looked at her and she said this is exactly where i want to be and that it was such a fantastic story and it was met with such applause and i am with you that um watching the storm and i've been watching them you know since since the, the, their first season i've been to uh, I try to make at least one game every year. It's something that my, my dad introduced me to. He loves women's basketball. Um, he, whereas I don't like the NBA, as you all know, I, he showed it to me and I loved it because you do see so much more of, of the team sport and the strategy. And, and it's, it's just a beautiful game to watch. Um, and, and so I have a lot of emotion tied up with, with this team and saying goodbye to Sue Bird in was, 
emotional and, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a dry eye in the house because not only did she bring us these championships and been a supporter of our city and been an ally and out and proud and I, I'm with you, she's not going anywhere. And what she's going to do with her life um, is, is important. And mm-hmm. she wants to take us all with her. And it's just mm-hmm. such a, being under her umbrella just feels good. And that's a really neat thing to have in an athlete to, to have them on a pedestal and, and it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I adore Sue Bird and, and I, I, I'm sad that that era has come to an end. I, I am too. And when I think about a superstar and somebody who's going to be the ambassador of a city and, you know, transcends just what they're doing on the court or in the field or whatever, um, Sue Bird is that kind of person. And, and I, I can see the dichotomy in that versus somebody like Stewie, who is, can be that person, right? She, she plays that well and she carries the team, but doesn't, doesn't want it. And that's fine for her. But that's the difference is that somebody like Sue Bird who can really step up and take charge of that role and inspire people with it um, that uh, I think, you know, transcends her from from more than her production on the court. Um, Yeah, I think she's really great. Curtis. Uh, You, all three of you said so many great things about Sue Bird, and I've said a lot on this podcast before. Um, I'll just, um, I'm not going to go as long. Um, I, I've loved a lot of athletes in this town. Uh, when I was a kid, it started with Steve Largent because Steve Largent was sort of like this kind of small, not super fast, but he was like this phenomenal route runner and he was this underdog. And when the Seahawks started winning in the early eighties with him, uh, I got super attached to that team. Um, Griffey, uh is my age and uh came into superstardom uh when i was uh uh before the age of 21 um and sean kemp did too and i thought they were pretty special um in the 90s i loved cortez kennedy he was this big plugger in the middle of that defense on a on on a lousy team that didn't have a decent quarterback for a decade and he fought through and when holmgren got here he finally got to experience the playoffs after 10 years of losing in Seattle. And it was a rough decade being a Seahawks fan in the nineties. Um, I, when the Sonics were ripped out of this town in 2008, um, my drinking was at the all time worst at that, that just as a sports fan and somebody who grew up, watching that team from like the third grade on that that was just that was just such a gut punch to me emotionally that I basically said fuck you to the NBA (laughs) and I also said fuck you to Starbucks and I also said fuck you to the Seattle City Council I said fuck you to a lot of people (laughs) but I was not gonna watch men's basketball professionally anymore I was just done you know and so when i met my wife in 2011 
she was a Storms fan. And I was just like, cool, you know, I'll give it a shot. And I would love to say that I was there with Sue at the beginning of her careers. I'd watch a few Storm games on TV, but I was a Sonics fan, you know. Through my wife and her fandom of Sue, I have, I have grown to see women athletes as these beautiful, amazing uh, beings. I mean, the, the women's basketball is a beautiful sport to watch. Yeah. I feel like I think in many ways it's 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 a pure sport of basketball yes. than than the men's basketball. I think that there's there's X's and O's and there's execution that goes on in the court, on the court, um, the way they set up um, play designs. And, and Sue Bird is a master. I mean, she is Tom Brady in that league. Like she sees things in a sixth sense of how on these no look feeds, on these way to distribute, on the what, on the, just the flow of the game because she played it so long and she played it at a, at a high level. And, you know, there was never, she won four titles here, but there was lean years and she never, and I was there, you know, with my wife for like a few of these years between, you know, their, their, their second title and their third title. And, um, you know, she was injured a lot. Um, the team wasn't very built up around her and, you know, I I don't want to make this about like, you know, contrast to Russell Wilson and everything like that. But one of the things that's been so hard for me to deal with Russell Wilson and his decision to leave Seattle is watching Sue Bird got through lean years to get back to the point to which she could contend for back to back championships, you know, and uh, I'll just say it. I have never seen a better point guard point guard in my life and i've watched every single freaking i mean i've watched a ton of gary payton i've watched a ton of john stockton those guys were tremendous sue bird was a freaking wizard on the court as a point guard and a distributor and a scorer and she was a badass i mean she freaking played through a game four <laughs> in 2018 against a vicious mercury team that had you know uh griner and uh Tarassi on that team and they broke her fucking face and she wore a mask and she and, and she just rose you know and I, I, yeah i mean i mean i've seen i've seen i mean that game that i saw you know uh that they didn't end up winning last tuesday was a great game to watch you know, um, but I just, to me, I, I will, she is, she is without a doubt, my favorite sports figure in Seattle. I just think, I just think she's tremendous. And I, and, and I'm so appreciative that she opened my eyes to women's basketball. Um, I, I think it's a growing sport. I hope it continues to grow. I hope that WNBA players uh, make more money than they're making right now. I hope that it's marketed better. Um, I hope it gets more attention. I hope uh, um, you know the 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 misogyny that I think impacts that league. I hope it starts to dissipate more over time, like it it, it had eventually with with women's tennis. I feel like um, you know I'm just I'm just I'm just forever grateful that you know 
she was here in Seattle. I think it's fucking cool. I think she should have a statue for right in front of. A hundred percent. No, uh, they they need they need to erect one um, yeah. for her. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, she belongs on uh, on you know the Seattle superstar Mount Rushmore uh, unequivocally, um, and uh, she will be missed. So thank you, Super, for everything you did, and we're gonna miss you. Um, you wanna hop into some Dorkin? Maybe some short Dorkin. Yeah. Short Dorkin. Is that gonna be? Uh, yeah, that'll be a new new category for us. Short Dorkin. Yeah, just name the thing and move on. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> ten o'clock. We're all yeah. I'm I'm pretty tired. <laughs> Millie, short dark for us. Here's my short dork, and I don't know, Alana might want to jump in on my short dork, which, well, that's weird. Nope, never mind. Um, <laughs> my, my, my short dork is uh, the resort. Um, real quick, what I'm going to say about it is just, first of all, it's on Peacock, and, and so you got to go find it. It is not what you think it is. It is, it is, you think it's about a couple on vacation and maybe a little bit of adventure. And it is just so much more than that. And um, there are just poignant moments that had me in tears. And the, the, the relationship between the, the husband and wife is just believable and poignant and, and, and the layers in which things are revealed. Um, we even have to deal a little bit with what I'm going to call time travel, but isn't really time travel. Um, all these little layers to it. It's just brilliant storytelling and amazing acting and, and the visuals are fantastic. I can't recommend the resort enough. All right, Curtis, short dark for us. Short darking. Um, uh, the movie Prey on Hulu uh, mm. blew me away. Um, I, um, I have not seen every predator sequel i was huge fan of the first predator movie in the 80s um i think it's one of the best action films i've ever seen um and i like this one better um it's it's they're two very very different films in many ways i don't think it's fair to compare the two um but you know um you know uh space monster coming down in outer space and you know um hunting um indigenous people down in like the early 1800s and a young indigenous woman um figuring out a way to kick his fucking ass um is an amazing beautiful thing to watch and the cinematography of the film is really pretty too and um yeah i just think it was a it was a, it was a fun watch i like it alana Sure, uh, the resort is my number two show of the year behind the bear so far i loved it it's magical realism it's based on borge it's wonderful uh, but really uh the other one that i wanted to highlight um since millie already did is a league of their own um mm. on uh prime it is uh beautiful it's very queer it is uh there is so much sexual chemistry and tension between Abby Jacobson and Darcy Carden. It's like, what? Um, uh, it's wonderful. Uh, the baseball is fine. Like, it's, there's some obvious CGI, but I don't care because the story's really about these women that came together and discovered themselves as a result of being a part of this league. And there is an episode that is uh, simultaneously um, joyous thrilling choral singing amazing like awesome 
you know, they're at a queer gay bar, like Rosie O'Donnell's there, like just wonderful and then devastating and heart-wrenching immediately after that. Um, and it's like the perfect thing. By the end of the series, I was in a puddle of tears because the thing that can make me cry the most is um, when your opponent, when the opponents or one team helps the other team win, like in a, in a specific, like there's an old softball video, a girl who like blows out her knee rounding first base. Uh, and um, the, because the rule is you can't touch someone on your own team traveling the bases, two players from the other team carried her around and, and helped her score. And they do their own version of that in, in a league of their own. And it's just like, it's like tears, puddle, mess, nonsense. <laughs> I'm great. I love it. I have to, I, I keep meaning to watch that one. Um, uh, I have three, three things. I'm short Dorkin. I just finished uh, the, the latest season of what we do in the shadows. Um, and I was very surprised that show is so dumb uh, in like the best way possible. And the last episode of the last season got me verklempt a little bit. Like all of a sudden, they threw sunset. Out, yeah, I know. They just threw out a little, uh, little emotion at me uh, that I wasn't expecting. And uh, I, I really appreciated it for it. They earned it. Um, I have been slowly watching the newest season of Reservation Dogs, and I've been taking my time because I'm just in love with this season, and I don't want it to end. And yeah, so every time really I turn it on and I want to watch the next episode, I go, but if I watch it, it's just like I'm just closer to this, you know, not being able to watch this show again. Um, I, I love it, and I really, that's one of my biggest recommendations for everybody to watch. Reservation Dogs on Hulu is just excellent, uh, and they really take this new season to a new level. Um, and then lastly, uh, tonight after we uh, stop recording this podcast, I'm going to dig into the, the, the new season of Cobra Kai. Yeah. It's a, it's a good show. It's one of my guilty pleasures. Uh, I think they, they hit all the notes that they want to um, and it delivers uh, and I'm looking forward to it. All right. That's it. Uh, you know, like us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever, wherever you find your podcasts, uh, you can, you can watch our pretty faces up on the YouTubes. That's where you can see the video cast of this thing. Check out Curtis's blog, 12life.com. Uh, he always has great things to say, but especially when the Seahawks start their season. Once again, my name is Daniel for Alana Curtis, Millie, the rest of the 12s saying goodbye and go Hawks. Hawks. Go Hawks. Let's ride.